You are tuning into season three of the Commerce Insights podcast, where top digital commerce professionals share their insights and expertise. Brought to you by Woolman, the premier Shopify Plus agency for global brands. Woolman is an award-winning commerce partner for startups, scale-ups, and Fortune 500 companies. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of Commerce Insights Podcast. Today it's all about customer acquisition and related topics, data, privacy and others. Uh, welcome Wesley Harley, CRO from Leave. Uh, good to see you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Miko. Can you briefly describe your role as customer acquisition specialist, especially in the context of Leaf, a digital performance marketing agency focusing on the e-commerce and D2C space? Yeah, so so yeah, we're, we're a technology and data science company that's, that specializes in, in performance solutions uh, for, for e-commerce companies. So we focus on performance from ad, ad click all the way to purchase. So our core service would be performance marketing. But under that umbrella, we also do conversion tracking. We have a creative studio for data-led design creatives. Um obviously cross-channel performance, strategy and execution. And we also do some web development where it makes sense. Um, the reason we do web development as well is that we've typically had it in the past where we would um, set up the conversion tracking and the analytics and run all the performance campaigns and a web dev agency would remove all the tracking on a web update and could trip up, you know, months and months of hard work building up data against performance marketing campaigns. And if people are spending tens of thousands of pounds a day, that can be very, very costly. So we start to control that final piece of performance, um, mainly to protect the conversion tracking and the campaigns and put performance marketing at the forefront of web development. And then that's kind of snowballed into us, you know, naturally handling conversion rate optimization and SEO as well. So we're handling all the traffic uh, and all the conversion of that traffic going to a website as an integrated performance strategy. Um, we build technology. We're a technology company. We started stupidly, um, naively. We started as a music company in about 2015. Uh, we were one of the top 10 streaming platforms in the world, number one in Latin America. And then we discovered music is where startups go to die. <laughs> uh, and we died fairly spectacularly. We did very well, but we built some marketing technology to help us advertise. It was, you know, it was back in the Wild West days where especially Facebook marketing was very cheap. You could test thousands of creatives against thousands of audiences. And we built some pretty rough scripts to help us mine interest-based audiences and then test lots of ad creatives and automatically calibrate the budget across combinations of of, of audiences and um, creatives, kind of like a particle accelerator for performance marketing. This was pre-campaign budget optimization in, in Meta. And then as we the music thing died, we became music companies started reaching out to us and, and brands saying, could you do the same for us? Could you do this audience development thing and performance thing for us? And we just by default became this agency, non-agency. If people go to our website, they'll see it says, we're not an agency, we're a technology company, but by all intents and purposes, we're an agency. 
<laughs> Love it. Uh, thanks for the story, and we are super happy to have you here. And as you do performers on a on a high level, let's talk about Apple and iOS. So we, as as we remember, like iOS 14 introduced several privacy focused changes that uh, impacted advertising. From your perspective, how have these updates reshaped the strategies you employ for for customer acquisitions up to these days? Yeah, I, I remember um, at the time it was quite quite a traumatic, uh, quite a traumatic event, and everyone was waiting for this date. I think it was like April the twenty ninth or something, two thousand and twenty or twenty one. Anyway, they it, it was unclear exactly what was going to happen, but I remember all of a sudden um, you couldn't see demographic data for conversions in the ad account, so all of a sudden. You know, you would have, you know, a set of campaigns, top, middle and bottom of funnel. And then, you know, you would look into the data to see, right, how are the age groups and the different um, genders and placements performing? And all of a sudden, all that was gone. You couldn't actually see conversion data against specific demographics. So, um, and also all of a sudden, we got a lot less data into the accounts. And because of that, performance was affected. So it took about, yeah, I think about six to eight months for everything to kind of start to recalibrate and and Meta introduced, um, you know, particularly affected Meta, the, the role that it affected Google, much less so. Um, but I remember, yeah, it taking a good few months to kind of settle down. We had to restructure some of the campaigns. Now, if we wanted to get data, specific conversion data against age groups and demographics and placements, you would have to split the campaigns by those things and so that was a fundamental change in how to launch campaigns to understand how different customer segments were performing and, and you know there was I think Facebook started to introduce statistical modeling and everyone was like what's this so there was just such a lack of of trust and actually you know we were seeing we were seeing actually you know some kind of in, in some instances revenue not changing that much like first party revenue but the performance of Meta, um, you know, being drastically, like in some case, sixty percent less than you know what we were actually what we actually should be seeing. So that was quite turbulent. And I think as we move forward, it kind of kind of settled down. But you know, there's been other privacy changes, and you know, I think iOS seventeen now Apple rolling out some more changes with UTMs, so stripping certain elements of a UTM out of on say iMessage and on and, and I think on some other Apple related kind of platform specifically, and that is you know it's probably you know as we as we move forward, targeting has become so broad now that actually restructuring the campaigns and with Pmax and Advantage Plus, actually structuring your campaigns um, and splitting it in a really granular way that's really disappearing. Google and Meta just want you to have less campaigns, less ad sets, less ads, and let the algorithm do the work. So it's our job to take the algorithm by the hand, give it the right creatives, and just give it the right inputs to get the right outputs. And it's just understanding how, you know, when Meta says something like, have one Advantage Plus campaign for all your new customers and all your existing customers, doesn't quite work in reality because you want to talk to different customers and different parts of the shopping journey slightly differently. And also, you might have different margins per product category, so you need to structure your 
campaigns by those margins and you might want to do some upsell, cross-sell for people who bought one thing and not another. So you can't just lump everything into one big campaign, but you've got to kind of, you've got to go with the flow and that consolidation of, of campaigns in ad accounts to get the most amount of budget running through the least amount of campaigns and audiences and creatives is, is just a general move towards you know seeding control to 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 the to the algorithm to the ai that sits behind this and just giving it the right inputs thanks wes that is extremely helpful and i would also love to hear your opinion on one of these other like really tough topics being gdpr so it's been a while since gdpr was rolled out how has the world of digital performance marketing adjusted to these like privacy regulations and what strategies have emerged as the most effective ones in in this like more post gdpr landscape yeah, so GDPR has been this kind of a catch-all term, you know, and it affects performance marketing and you could kind of lump email marketing under performance marketing and getting that level of consent for for tracking a user and then there are different levels of consent. And I think, you know, just being really, <laughs> really honest about it, lots and lots of brands and lots of people in the industry just tried to ignore it for as long as they could have this kind of basic cookie banner on the site but and and you know have it so it wasn't fully interruptive and it could sit there and people wouldn't click yes or no to the cookies and then um and then as you know the 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 legislation and became stricter and as people started to understand more and more what this was this was about and not wanting to be on the wrong side of this and as the as the public and the consumers became more aware of privacy and their data, actually it became a brand, it became a brand consideration. Like, do we want to be seen not having a handle on on our, you know, customers' privacy, or do we want this to be to be upfront? And then, you know, the the flip side to this whole thing is most brands just do not possess the technical capabilities to know how to implement a cookie banner and a GDPR framework properly so that A, they're doing it properly and it's compliant and people are clicking no to cookies, but they're firing Google Analytics, firing Google Tags and firing Meta Tags anyway because they don't know what they're doing. Um, or B, putting this on the site and then having all their data disappearing and then with that, lots of decision-making power in terms of in terms of targeting, in terms of... Uh, product and, and and customer performance and, and it actually affecting these businesses. These businesses are losing money. Data is money. Data is king. And they're losing money. They're losing performance and they're struggling to make decisions and whole things becoming more inefficient. So, you know, we got on this pretty early because we handle, we're one of the few, you know, performance agencies out there that have a conversion tracking and analytics team you know, we got on this pretty early and made sure that A, you, you, everything was uh, privacy first and compliant, but B, you were collecting all the data that you were allowed to collect based on these different levels of consent and making sure that it was fully interruptive. So people landing on your website, they have to do something about the cookies and they can't surf your website. And now you will know everywhere you go, even on TV now, you're starting to get these big privacy cookie banner things on TV um, and it's a pain and everybody's got to do it every time they visit a website and something something with that's got to change because the whole user experience of privacy has just become 
uh, a, a real pain. I think, uh, you know, a big tip to everybody out there listening to this, when you implement your cookie banner, and we've seen this so many times with, with brands, when you implement your cookie banner, if somebody clicks yes and they're happy for whatever reason, because they're lazy and they can't be bothered clicking through to another screen, clicking no, whatever, if they click yes and you can fire those tags, make sure those tags fire on the page that they've accepted it on. So what happens is we see brands implementing a cookie banner, people click yes, happy to accept the cookies, but all your tags won't fire until they visit the next page they land on, which means you are missing out on, you could be missing out on retargeting everybody that's landed on your homepage and bounced and not visited another page. And that's really common mistake. And then it's all of a sudden everybody implements a cookie banner. And then in GA, they just see like 40% of their data disappear. And then they're like, do I just want to be non-compliant and get that 40% of the data back? Or do, do I just, like, is my boss going to kill me? How do I explain this? Um, but there is there, there are some, some you know, small kind of default things that, that brands aren't doing very well with GDPR. It's, get, it's getting better because it's, you know, more ubiquitous now. But, yeah, this it was a bit of a data killer. Um, but I think the landscape moving forward is uh, more privacy, less attribution, broader targeting and there's nothing anybody can do about it pretty much very valuable Wes thanks uh, especially for the practical advice being there done that so I've, uh, we've seen that in, in too many customer cases <laughs> but moving on let's talk about iOS for a tiny bit more so given the changes with, with iOS and the upcoming updates in sites how has the measurement of critical metrics and KPIs for customer acquisition evolved? Uh, what's the importance of a solid data layer? Yeah, so I think I just alluded to this at the end of my last long, long-winded answer. But um, yeah, le- more privacy, less attribution, um, and more channels, which makes it attribution even even more difficult. So now, even attribution used to be more of a problem. Of, of cross-channel attribution, like I've got multiple channels. How do I know which one's performing? How do I know whether I've got like a lot of attribution overlap, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Now, single-channel attribution has become a problem. Just you know, we talked about iOS and its effect on Meta, um, and also its effect on other social platforms: TikTok, Pinterest, even YouTube. Anything that's got an app, basically, the traffic from the app. If, if you notice in, in GA. Everyone looks at, you know, direct traffic, organic, and thinks that direct is, oh, these are the people who've just typed our brand name into the, into the browser and come to our website. So, so you know, sometimes you see 40% of your traffic is coming from direct. So what 40% of your 20,000 customers a month are typing in your, your brand name directly into their browser? It's just the case that a lot of the traffic from when you've got a browsing experience within a an, an app so you're on meta you're surfing meta you click an ad it opens a browser within the meta platform a lot of that data just cannot be passed to ga and so as we've got more channels and we've got more more social channels have kind of exploded snapchat pinterest tiktok etc uh, we get more channels less attribution more privacy and it makes attribution more difficult and so we've got some people trying to figure it out and build attribution models and then GA get rid of all these different attribution models, right? So they get rid of all the stuff in the middle, the positional and the decay and time-based. And so um, 
what we focus on is is the frameworks up front. We focus on the tracking. So the data that you are allowed to collect, make sure you are collecting all of it. Make sure you've got server-side tracking. Make sure you're using offline conversions tracking as well to feed as much data into the ad accounts as possible. Server-side is a, is a global term. You've got server-side that's online and server-side that can collect offline. Get all that data as much as you can. And browser, you need browser as well because server and offline kind of fills in for where browser can't can't do its thing because of connections or ad blockers or whatever. Um, make sure that you're just getting all the data that you can legitimately collect and get and feed it into the ad platforms with a data layer. And a data layer is um, literally a, a layer of data that is kind of extracted from your e-commerce site. Um, you can fire all the events from a data layer. So an add to cart, an initiate checkout but you can fire it from a data layer and that is more secure. You can control it better. It's more agile. It's easier to develop on than actually firing those events on a on the DOM elements like buttons on your browser, on your website, because a web developer can easily come along, change some CSS and all of a sudden your purchase event or your add to cart event just is not firing. It, you can minimize that using using a data layer. Um, and this all this helps with maximizing the amount of data going into the ad platforms and into um, and, and, and into your analytics platforms. And then if you focus on the frameworks, how you structure your campaigns. So if you want to know um, if you want to know how a campaign or how a channel is performing in, in a mix of lots of other channels, just make sure that you, you've got not got massive attribution windows that means that one plus one equals three. So you'll have TikTok, Meta, and Google. And when you add the revenue up from those channels, if it equals more than the revenue in the till on your Shopify store, you've probably got too much retargeting, too much budget in the retargeting at the bottom of funnel. So they're all claiming each other's sales and you've probably got two bigger attribution windows. If you structure these campaigns and these channels properly, you can have a framework where multiple channels can exist together. You might want to do prospecting on, on TikTok and and some pros- and a lot of prospecting and a bit of retargeting on, on Meta, and then you might want to do full funnel kind of generic prospecting, but also retargeting brand and bottom of funnel customers on Google. You'll have less attribution overlap, especially if you tighten the attribution windows. And all that means that the data you're looking at in whatever analytics platform you're using, I would suggest using first-party data. Pull that data directly from the ad accounts and from Shopify store, warehouse it, unify it, and pull it into a, a place you know where you, where you can visualize that data and use first-party data where possible. Then you will be able to judge the performance of your campaigns on a money-in, money-out basis instead of trying to go against the grain and figure out attribution you're just going to be focusing on on an area of marketing that is becoming increasingly difficult to crack the code on um so yeah frameworks how you set up your campaigns set up campaigns against products set up campaigns against a funnel structure where you're not over segmenting interests and and, and, and lookalikes and all that stuff. Build a funnel structure so you know, what do we want to say to new-to-brand audiences? What do we want to do with new-to-brand audiences that we're retargeting? And how do we want to speak to our existing customers? And it makes your uh, cross-channel, it just makes the reporting a lot, 
a lot easier and you don't get the situation where one plus one equals equals three. Uh, and, and also make sure that you're structuring your promo, you know, really important coming up to Q4. If you're going to be running promo campaigns and you're going to go out with an email marketing campaign that gives people 40% off, maybe don't do it at the same time as you as you're going to do your marketing campaigns on paid social, because all of a sudden paid social looks amazing, but it's because you've sent out emails on a weekend. Just do the emails first for a couple of days, then launch your paid social campaigns and just actively minimize that that attribution overlap through proper um, exclusion targeting. Make sure you're excluding the right audiences at the right part of the funnel, on the right channels, and make sure that your tracking that feeds all the exclusion targeting is, is as rich and as abundant, as secure and as privacy-first as possible. Thanks, Wes. Uh, that's that's a lot. So definitely some really good advice for brands, how to, how to think about the whole acquisition now, including uh, everything that has changed. So I uh, appreciate it a lot. Um, moving on to something that affects every single brand doing customer acquisition. So it's more about what's happening on the market right now. So as example, the situation in Ukraine and the events in Israel and Gaza lately have brought up tons of uncertainties in various sectors. At least we can see it with, with almost all of our customers. So how have these geopolitical events influenced customer acquisition trends and strategies? Has anything changed? Yes. Yeah, so really, obviously really pertinent. And I think you know, this year um, we had an example where a brand uh, in a category that is heavily dependent on discounting decided to move away. They wanted to move away from discounting because it was making their brand, they were worried about how their brand was being being perceived. So our advice was, um, and they were struggling as well like most of the other brands uh, out there it's been a really tough 18 months for for everybody in the e-commerce space um less so i think for early stage challenger brands i think it's really affected and in percentage terms some of the bigger brands and i'll come on to come on to why why that is but so yeah this brand said look we want to move away from discounting they'd been and and the discounting wasn't like a you know, DFS, 40% off every day, forever kind of discount. It was three for two on a particular product and they didn't have a huge range of products, three for two to help increase average order value, basically. Um, and it was, and and so it equated to a 25% discount. Um, and our advice was it's the wrong time of year and the, and it's just the wrong year to do this. We've got a very, very price sensitive market We've got, we're in a post-pandemic market where everybody, you know, in Western countries, you know, empty consumer kind of cultures just basically bought everything they're ever going to need in that couple of years of the pandemic and basically ate the demand for the next couple of years, especially, you know, in the, in the UK, which has got very, very high online shopping penetration anyway. Then the next couple of years after that, everybody was like, well, I've already bought my wardrobe, my, you know, all my seasons of clothes for the next two years and all the items in the house I want to buy and I want to go on holiday. So there was this, everybody saving up to go on holiday, which further impacted e-commerce. Um, and then, you know, a, a real kick in the teeth, obviously, 
um, after those, you know, difficult few years was, um, you know, the, the, the Ukraine uh, situation and then, you know, the energy crisis and, and inflation. So less disposable income, a really price sensitive market, lots of categories that typically were never really much about discounting, becoming about discounting. And then brands really worried about their how it looks. Uh, so we said to this brand, look, I sent an email that I turned into a blog and said, look, if you move away from discounting, your entire brand has relied on three for two for customer acquisition. If you move away from that now and you rip the plaster off and you do it cold turkey rather than weaning yourself off it, uh, you're going to be out of business within the next six months because here's how it will affect all your key performance metrics. Your cost per session will go up because you'll get less click-through rate on your ads because there's a less of an offer. And this is in the short term. Over, you know, in the long term, they could do, they could potentially do something about about this, right? But so you'll get less sessions on your website. That means you're going to have less abandoned cart emails going out. So your email marketing channel all of a sudden is also going to see less revenue, and you're going to get less people clicking through. Your conversion rate on your website will go down. So less people visiting your website, less people in your email remarketing funnel, and less of those visitors are being converted to sales. Your average order value will drop and you will basically get this kind of vortex of shit, right, that will affect all these key metrics in the short term. If you've got the cash and you've got the guts and the bravery to to ride that out and think, right, well, these customers coming to my website without a discount are going to be worth more in the long run, then fair play, go for it. Um, They ignored our advice. and exactly what we described would have happened. Um, and that was a whole restructuring of their entire executive team. We got brought in board level. What happened? We had an email to say, look, we said this would happen and we advised against it. And so they're back on this three for two, uh, this three for two situation and all the metrics have gone in the right direction and now they're flying again. And Part of their brand identity was giving value to their customers through this three for two. It was part of their brand. And even though the executive and the leaders didn't like it at the time, they thought it cheapened their brand. Actually, it really spoke to their customers in a pandemic, out of a pandemic, in a cost of living crisis, outside of a cost. That was part of their brand identity and it really suited that. And I think, you know, we have this situation where, we call it tail, you know, wagging dog, where brand identity is a function and your brand is a function of revenue and sales, right? Unless you're Coca-Cola or McDonald's or Nike or something, right? Don't put brand identity and brand perception ahead of something that makes you revenue that you can control, that can, especially if 100%, you know, near 100% of your revenues are coming from digital and they're being managed by this discount. And I think... We've had that with quite a few. We took those learnings into a blog that people can read on our website. It's called, you know, the critical pitfalls of abandoning your discount strategy or something something heavy like that. Um, and then we did a, an event about this as well. And at that event, we brought down some kind of some challenger brands, um, but also we had some really big hitter brands like P&G, who had actually introduced discounting into entire categories that is now entrenched behavior, like who buys shampoo when it's not two for one. That is an, that is an entrenched 
strategy and, and, and behavior that was introduced to the market by these huge brands. And they've really seen, they've really had a more difficult time in the market because of inflation and, fro- and because of the, you know, these global events than some of the smaller companies that are a bit more agile. They feel these macro events a little less than the really big, uh, big global companies and, and discounting is obviously, it's a tool and, and a tactic that you can use to help manage you through these situations. But uh, yeah, it's going to have an effect on how people perceive your brand, but it, it could be a good effect. Great. And in the light of all of these challenges happening on the market, how are you leveraging cross-channel strategies to ensure a consistent and effective customer acquisition? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we've always been a, a big proponent of, um, you know, having one partner managing all your performance channels. Um, you know, brands, it, it's easier for the brand to yeah. be honest, it's, it's easier for the brand because they don't have to manage multiple agencies. And obviously, you you know, people listening will think, yeah, well, you would say that because you get paid more for handling multiple <laughs> channels. But but also, it does help us manage performance much better. So if we if we're managing Google and Meta, we can make sure we can reduce attribution overlap. So we're not spending. 50% of the budget on Google at the bottom of funnel retargeting web visitors and 50% of the budget on Meta retargeting web visitors, you're going to have a lot of attribution overlap. If we're spending 75% of the budget on Google at top of funnel, new to brand, generic search and, and PMAC customers that have never visited the website before or they're not existing customers and we're doing the same on Meta and we've got seven-day click attribution windows, we're massively reducing that attribution overlap and and actually one plus one equals two in that situation. And we can con- and we can also run experiments really well between Google and Meta to say, right, okay, what's the cost per generic traffic, generic visitor, so non-brand, you know, search term visitors from Google and, and, and how valuable are they in terms of high intent actions versus demand generation platform top of funnel generic new to brand customers on meta how much is it costing us and then how valuable are they are they are they what's the cost per web visit but what's the cost per add to cart the cost per initiate checkout the cost per purchase and then lifetime value of those customers and we can run experiments like that and isolate them very easily when we're handling these channels but say this tiktok in the mix and all of a sudden we find out that the brand is, you know, their mate runs a TikTok agency and they're all of a sudden running TikTok and we see cost per session, blended cost per session plummet, but conversion rates plummeting and we're thinking, what's going on? And then we're like, oh, are you running some TikTok? Oh, right, yeah, you're, run- you're spending 50 grand a month on TikTok. Right, can we have a look at the account just to see how it's structured? Ah, right, you're spending, right, you're, at- you- you're optimizing just for traffic with 50% of the budget and then 50% of the budget spent on retargeting. Oh, and you're getting a 30x return on ad spend on your retargeting on TikTok. That's because we're spending 500 grand a month on Google and, 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 and paid social. But they're like, oh, TikTok's performing amazing. We'll put more money into that. But actually, it's just mopping up all the, the conversions that are being driven by these other channels, but also sending crap traffic in at the top of funnel which is affecting the performance of these other channels because they've got to retarget that traffic. And so that when you have multiple agencies managing 
these different performance channels. I would say email's different. We don't do email marketing and we work with lots of, you know, with it, with agencies and some close partners who run email marketing, but we run it in a very integrated kind of joined up way with the paid media stuff. But yeah, I would say cross channel, handle it under one partner and, and they would do a much better, a much better job, especially if they're really good. If they're really good, trust them. There'll be channels. They're all the same. Google, Bing, you know, the, these channels are, and, and TikTok and, and, and Meta and Pinterest, they all perform and, and, and the old, function very very similarly you will have a funnel you'll have time it's you know each platform once you know one um of these platforms you pretty much know them all and it's just the content types that that differ really so i'd say consolidate those under a single partner and you will have a more efficient uh joined up and coherent performance strategy cross-channel performance strategy yeah, uh, as as a long background in PPC, I could easily agree. There makes makes lots of sense if you just dare to dare to give it a go. Wes, um, what about then the the tools and the methodologies you are currently exploring or recommending to e-commerce businesses to better measure their acquisition efforts in this changing digital landscape? What tools should be in place to to make sure that you're successful? Yeah, b- before I do a, a, a you know a plug about our own uh, technology, obviously we've got this situation with GA at the moment, right? Where we've moved from GA three to GA four. Um, GA four counts calculates sessions fundamentally differently, and there's some fundamental differences in the settings with GA. So comparing apples and uh, with apples between between GA three and GA four is, is really really difficult. Even and we've stitched the data together, and even then all of a sudden a, a massive difference in sessions, massive difference in conversion rates because of that um, and differences in dwell time and bounce rate and all that stuff because of cross device tracking now is better and statistical modeling in, in GA4. Um, but in GA4, there's a, there, there seems to be this industry-wide 20 to 30% kind of hole in revenue that GA4 is, is, is accounting for. Uh, so we're trying to figure figure this out at the moment we had it pretty tight on ga3 using server side for 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 ga3 but ga4 has made a real mess of it so you know we're putting all our eggs into the first party data basket so our platform leaf grow we do data warehousing data unification and data unification is simply if you have a purchase from meta a transaction from ga a purchase from from google and it's called a whatever you know purchase or a transaction something in in shopify it just unifies that into one thing called a transaction or a purchase and unifies all that data we are now putting all our eggs in the first party data basket so that we don't have to rely on ga at all for measuring micro conversions across the site so visitors you know view products add to carts initiate checkout purchase typical e-com e-com journey and then we can measure the lifetime value of those customers we can measure conversion rates between those events um, across pages across product categories and then also measure product performance as well and then look at the spend we set up all our campaigns to speak to product categories and different margins it makes our reporting much easier so you know we're leveraging a lot our own technology our own conversion tracking technology um, um, and our own data warehousing and reporting technology because it means we can 
we can make it bespoke. It's not a catch-all kind of tool that's just kind of out of the box. We can we can do the out of the box stuff, but we can also make it slightly bespoke for for each client. We've got much more control over the the data inputs and and the data outputs, and we can make smarter decisions that just lead to more efficient paid media. Um, other tools, I mean, you know, I'm sure you'll have people on other podcasts talking about AI. AI, um, it's been around for ages. It's a bit of a fad. There's loads of companies doing AI for how to teach a monkey to make cakes or whatever. It's, do you know what I mean? And then put like your top 50 tips about that on on LinkedIn. There's some stuff that AI is good for. Obviously, ChatGPT is great for research. Um, there's some creative stuff out there that's really good. You know, we use kind of AI voiceover stuff. We use AI for some content creation but at the moment you know having a subject matter expert writing your blogs at the moment ai is not going to replace those people it can help them it can help them create that content and curate it and and do their research but actually having you know typical you know hi human intelligence actually using ai um so yeah i think there's loads of tools out there uh, and I, but I think leverage the on-platform data you get from Google Ads and the ad platforms. Don't discard that data because those platforms use that data to to optimize the campaigns. So use first-party data where you can uh, get that data into your ad ad platforms. Take note of the ad platform data, that on-platform data, um, and pull all that data into a into a warehouse, unify it, and then get it into some some dashboards where you can kind of abstract all the complexity of the stuff that really is just is just a distraction and focus on where your budget's being spent in terms of product category and, and channel and the funnel stage, including your creatives. You can split your creative reporting by funnel stage uh, and then you know and then it'll help you make smart decisions. Thanks, Wes. Sort of like summarizing that, you talk a lot about first-party data. What are the additional data points a brand should gather? Let's go as an example with a fashion brand. So what are the data points that are something that brands look, uh, should look after besides the typical ones that you get from a Shopify Plus checkout or, or the fact that you're a loyalty club member, as example, with Jotpo or whatever. So what would you recommend brands collecting and how to be more active there? Yeah, I think because targeting is going so broad and we're getting less data, we're past peak marketing data and we're going down the other side and we're going to keep going down. I'm sure Apple are going to roll out more privacy restrictions and and there's going to be some big stuff probably coming from from the US and and, and from 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 Central you know Europe as well and the, the EU. Um, Understanding the customer and knowing your customer, I think everybody got a bit lazy about it when we had all this data and and it was you know and, and so understanding your customer, zero party, zero party data as well, and talking to your customers, leveraging, uh, leveraging these platforms that help you bring a high street retail experience to your website and literally having people talking to your customers on video or chatbots and asking them questions and having them filling out forms to understand um, to understand their behaviours. So a typical example for one of our clients, Snug, you know, we were asking people, it's a sofa, 
sofa brand, we were asking people what kind of houses they lived in, whether they had dogs, you know, pets, whether they had children, um, etc. The size of their house, and it would help to recommend smart, uh, recommend products. So, right, this couch, okay, you've got a big house space, isn't a problem. You've got three kids, okay, you need a big couch. Right, you've got dogs and kids. You're going to need a fairly hard-wearing, durable material for all the drool and the and the and the random stainage that kids that kids kind of kind of throw out there. And you can just be smarter by collecting, you know, really simple, simple, you know, simple insights about your your customers' uh, behavior. But but also, I wouldn't, you know, I think product availability and actually delivery dates and all that stuff really fundamentally affects conversion rates. So, you know, if you're a, a sofa brand that says we can deliver in days, not weeks, and then you run out of a, a, a product or you're getting low on stock and then all of a sudden it does take eight weeks for delivery and all of a sudden your conversion rates have plummeted and you don't know why, that product availability and stock availability is really, really key. If you've got 80,000 SKUs across your website, that can be difficult to track, but can have a fundamental effect on why a particular brand or product line is performing or not. And I think those those insights, they're right there on your website. You've got access to that data. It's not affected by attribution. It, it's right there. And I think unearthing those and making sure you've got these kind of reasons why and you are unearthing these and you can help you make decisions like, right, okay, we're actually down to 20% stock Delivery times have increased for our most popular product. We need to remove those from the ads and we need to shift it to our second most popular product that's got all the stock in. Yeah, we'll take a hit a little bit on on kind of volume, but actually we won't take a big hit on conversion rate and, and media spend efficiency because we are we're not leading people to a bunch of products that actually you can't get for, for weeks. All that stuff just gets lost in the mania that is like you know, kind of paid media, especially at this time of the this time of the year. Um, and then, you know, finally, I think creative insights. If you're running anything on social platforms, creative insights and taking the algorithm by the hand, um, and actually having people self-select by making it really clear in your creative, like what the product is. We had somebody create a send us some ads for Halloween the other day a brand the product wasn't in it it was just a picture of a witch and it said halloween 10% off for the top of funnel and i was like you you your products missing they were like oh yeah oh damn yeah we'll put the product in the in the in the image just simple things like that just get lost sometimes in the yeah. in the, in the mania of it all uh, <laughs> love it <laughs> sort of the axel stories uh make, makes me laugh anyway uh Wes, to the very last question of today, uh, what's the one piece of advice you would give to commerce brands, especially within the D2C space, as they navigate through this more uncertain time and strive for growth? What's the one single, single thing that they should do? Yes, yeah, so I think, you know, we, we sum this up as, you know, signal strategy and answers. And with that, if you don't get the signal right, if you don't get the conversion tracking, the tagging, and all the the data flow from your website about the events and the behaviors that people are undertaking on your on your website then then you know nothing else after that in the world of performance marketing nothing else matters you could have the best button pushes in an ad account in the world you could have the best creative studio and the best creatives and those beautiful creatives with the best concepts ever 
right? And 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 just none of it's going to matter because your conversion tracking's broken. And a hundred percent of all the brands that have ever come to Leaf, their conversion tracking has been broken in some way and it's been suboptimal because just because you've fixed it and it's working. 10 seconds ago, it doesn't mean that it's working now. And things, app updates on Shopify, Shopify updates, you know, apps injecting code into your site, all messes with your conversion tracking and analytics. And having somebody who really knows what they're doing, software engineers that are specialized in signal processing, looking after that stuff instead of just web developers, no offense to web developers. Um, it's a, just a different field. Um is, is just critical to, to driving performance from, from paid media. So, yeah, my, my one piece of advice is, is make sure you are giving the right attention to the signal. Smart words. Wes, thank you so much for spending the time with us. My last, uh, very last question is that where can people find more about you if they are interested in your services? Yes, so um, www.leafgrow.io. Um and yeah, drop us a line on there. Drop us a line on on LinkedIn. You, you, you'll find Leaf. Uh, Leaf is the brand. Leaf Grow is our is our technology. But yeah, just just go there. Drop us a line. Happy to answer any questions. We do free ad account audits and conversion tracking audits. So if you need some advice, especially going into quarter four and you're panicking, just drop us a line and we'll we'll give you our our recommends. And yeah, Miko, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, tune in for a next episode in two weeks. Take care. Bye. This episode was sponsored by Ellis, the data management platform trusted by growing Shopify Plus brands and by Taiga, the award-winning premium Shopify 2.0 team. Choose Taiga for unparalleled speed, conversion optimization, and visual storytelling. Thank you for tuning in today. We look forward to connecting you again in two weeks.